Hello, listeners. Oh, hi. <laughs> We're starting. <laughs> I'm Andrew. And I'm Rachel. Close enough. Or maybe Mary with an I. Mary is currently scratching Mercury, who's being very, very clingy. He's being sniffalicious. Giving and me a sniff down. Yeah. He probably smells a bunch of the holy powder from when I was at the holy festival yesterday. For our listeners, that's H-O-L-I. It's a Hindu <laughs> celebration of spring. And there's this guy that I know through two people who is making a gin with chai spices. Okay. It's so good. I'm very intrigued. Intrigued. Yeah. So you can buy it at a lot of the liquor stores in town. It is just local right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, regional is next, but they opened a distillery, Distillery America, right. over around like 11th and 12th Street, like eight minutes from my house. Mm-hmm. And yesterday they had a holy festival because that's what the gin is named after because it's all about bringing lightness and happiness. Nice. It's super cool. Really nice. Yeah. What is the, you said that there's something in stores. What was it? What is it? Oh, called? you can get the gin. Holy gin. H O L I. Holy gin. Mm-hmm. Nice. I'm going to need to tell. Danny to tell Mary Catherine to tell her husband Kartak that I just plugged his gin. Yes. You can tell. Because <laughs> I. This was not an advertisement. I didn't plan this. We are not sponsored by Holy Gin, so. We're open to being sponsored, but really this just started because Mercury was sniffing my shoes and there's holy powder on my shoes. It was completely, completely um, organic. That was off the cuff. <laughs> um, Sorry. You can expect more of that. Anyway, this whole episode, because I'm here. Uh, this is the last podcast on the left. Where we talk about things we don't know a whole, whole lot about exactly. sometimes. Exactly, yes. It's it's actually uh, Armchair Apocrypha, oh. uh, the show where armchair experts tell possibly true stories. Then that means I'm even more ill-prepared than I thought. <laughs> you are on the wrong podcast. Um, how have you been it's been it's been more than a year since you've been on the show huh I know yeah I mean life man life has been up and down Mm -hmm. in a future episode I'll talk about mental health that would probably help some of our listeners in a capitalist society yeah that's it's just band-aids on the titanic set up for failure yeah but actually, things are pretty good right now. Good. I'm glad to hear that. You've uh-huh. been super busy lately. Yeah, I yeah. am. Still. Yeah. All the time. It's fine. Every day. Ish. It's <laughs> um, fine when I got a puppy to scratch. Big puppy. Big puppy. Pupperino. Pupperino. Pup master. Doggo. <laughs> Mercury is in heaven over there. He's standing up yeah. next to the futon we're sitting on in front of these fancy mics, but his head is turned and laid on the futon next to my leg because yeah. I'm scratching his neck right now. I mean, I can tell you don't do a damn thing for this dog ever. <laughs> he is very deprived. Clearly. He never gets any love. I can tell. He was not just laying on me like 20 minutes ago before you got here. Abuse by neglect. I know, right? We are just terrible to him. So what are you talking about today? Uh, so today I have a murder for you, since yes. I know that your favorite podcasts are murder podcasts. They truly are. Um, 
Have you ever heard of Viola Liuzza? I don't think I have. You don't think you have? Tell me more. Uh, Viola Liuzzo was born Viola Favre Gregg on April 11th, 1925, in the small town of California, Pennsylvania. I did not expect you to go there, California, Pennsylvania. California, Pennsylvania. I was thinking Milan (laughs) or something. Nope. California, Pennsylvania, the small town. As I was, when I was first reading through it, I was just scanning it and I was like, oh, she's from California. No, she's not. She's not at wait. all. Yeah, that's just kind of yeah. rude. <laughs> Very rude. Uh, she was the elder daughter of Eva Wilson, a teacher, and Heber Ernest Gregg, a coal miner and World War I veteran. Um, Ernest, or Heber Ernest, he left school in the eighth grade but taught himself how to read. Um, Eva Wilson, her mother, had a teaching certificate from the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, the couple had one other daughter, Rose Mary, in 1930. Her name was Rose, first name, mm-hmm. Mary, second name. Rose Mary Gregg. You lost me at the Gregg. <laughs> uh, well, on the job, uh, Heber's right hand was blown off in a mine explosion, and during the Great Depression, the Greggs became solely dependent on Eva's income. Work was very hard to come by for Mr. Greg, for Mrs. Gregg, uh, as she could only pick sporadic, short-term teaching positions. The family descended further into poverty and decided to move from Georgia to Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, where Eva found a teaching position when Viola was six. I need to ask you a question. What's up? I thought they were in California, Pennsylvania. They were. Um, apparently, they moved around a lot. Okay. So, we've hit four states so far. Yes. California, um, Pennsylvania, Eventually, Georgia. she's going to get up to Michigan. And now we're in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the family was very poor and lived in a one-room shack with no running water. Uh, the schools Liuzzo attended did not have adequate supplies, and the teachers were too busy to give extra attention to children in need. Uh, and because the family moved so often, Liuzzo never began, uh, never began and ended a school year in the same place. Um, having spent much of her childhood and adolescence uh, poor in Tennessee, Viola experienced the segregated nature of the South firsthand. Are they African-American? She's white. Okay. She witnessed it. She witnessed it. Okay. Uh, but it is foreshadowing because this will come back, come up later. Michigan. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, this would have a powerful impact on her activism later in life. Uh, it was during her formative years that she realized the injustice of segregation and racism as she and her family and similar conditions in great poverty will st- were still afforded social privilege and amenities denied to African-Americans under the Jim Crow laws. In 1941, the Gregg family moved to Ypsilanti, Michigan, where her father sought out a job assembling bombs at the Ford Motor Company. Viola's strong-willed nature... What year are we in again? 1941. Okay. Right before World War II. Uh, Viola's strong-willed nature led her to drop out of high school after one year and elope at the age of 16. The marriage did not last, and she returned to her family within a year. SMH. (laughs) Two years later, the Gregg family moved to Detroit, Michigan, which was starkly segregated by race, resulting in riots. Witnessing these horrific ordeals was a major motivator that influenced Viola's future civil rights work. So, between the South and Michigan, she has seen the segregated South and the segregated inner city. In 1943, she married George Argyris, I'm guessing, uh, the manager of the restaurant where she worked. Sure! (laughs) George Argyris, the manager of the restaurant where she worked. 
They had two children, Penny and Evangeline Mary, and divorced in 1949. Um, she later married Anthony Liuzzo, uh, a Teamsters Union business agent. Uh, together, they had three children, Tommy, Anthony Jr., and Sally. Liuzzo sought to return to school and attended the Carnegie Institute in Detroit, Michigan. She then enrolled part-time at Wayne State University in 1962. In 1964, she began uh, attending the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Detroit and joined the National Association for the Advancement of Color People, or the NAACP. OG. A large part of Viola's activism, particularly with the NAACP, was due to close friendship with an African-American woman, Sarah Evans. After initially meeting in a grocery store where Liotso worked as a cashier, the two kept in touch. Evans eventually became Liotso's housekeeper while still maintaining a close, friendly relationship in which they shared similar views, including support for the civil rights movement. In the aftermath of Liotso's death, Evans would go on to become the permanent caretaker of Liotso's five young children. Okay, so let me <coughs> let me catch up here. Yeah. So far, Liotso. Liuzzo okay. has worked all service industry jobs. Mm -hmm. Cashier, waitress, that's where she met her husband. Mm -hmm. First husband. Uh, the manager of a restaurant, yeah. Okay. And, and her, her latest husband is a Teamsters. Uh, okay. She divorced her first husband. She divorced her first two husbands. Because she eloped. My heart. She eloped when she was 16. Right, right, right. Met the manager of the restaurant. Right. And then uh, the Teamsters guy. Okay. If you hear any random thumps, we're being asked to throw a ball. Mercury is also currently digging under the table, which he knows he's not supposed to do. But he's got to get that ball, man. He's got to get that ball. I've respected getting the ball, chasing the ball. Um, um, in addition to actively supporting the civil rights movement, Liotso was also notable for a protest against Detroit's uh, laws that allowed for students to easily drop out of school which is a little hypocritical because she had done that at 16. I mean, um, she learned from her mistakes of the past. She did, yes. And she was really adamant that all children should have to go to school until they were 18. Also um, with five kids, you know, you want to keep them somewhere. Yep. Uh, she pulled her children out of school in protest and was arrested for homeschooling them after two months. And she pleaded guilty in court and was placed on probation. I feel like there's a a uh, another level of hypocrisy there <laughs> but I guess if your child is at least being schooled yeah. as opposed to being allowed to run rampant and get involved with a den of thieves and learn how to pickpocket and go off and find his own family and... that sounds awesome as fuck though <laughs> I, I want to do that only <laughs> if there's not a thinly veiled racist character leading it yeah. I mean, racism against the character, not that the oh. character is a racist. Was Bacon a racist? Or I, was he just the object of racism? I think he was the object of racism, but I could be misremembering. I mean, he was still a horrible person. Yes. Where were we? <laughs> uh, literature aside... Um, in February 1965, a night demonstration for voting rights in Marion, Alabama, this has nothing to do with her personally, uh, in Marion, Alabama, courthouse turned violent. Uh, state troopers clubbed marchers and beat and shot a 26-year-old African-American named Jimmy Lee Jackson, who later died. 
His death spurred on uh, the fight for civil rights in Selma, Alabama. The Southern Christian Leadership Conference scheduled a protest march uh, for Sunday, March 7th, 1965. Governor George Wallace banned the march, um, but the ban was ignored. 600 marchers headed for the arched Edmund Pettus Bridge that crossed the Alabama River. As the protesters reached the crest of the bridge, they saw a terrifying sight on the other side. State troopers armed with clubs, whips, and tear gas, and a sheriff's posse on horseback. When told to stop and disperse, the marchers refused. The troopers advanced on the marchers, clubbing and whipping them, fracturing bones and uh, gashing heads. Seventeen people were hospitalized on the day later, uh, on the day later called Bloody Sunday. Um, Liutsu was horrified by images from the march on Bloody Sunday. A second march took place on March 9th. Troopers, police, and marchers confronted each other at the uh, county end of the bridge, but when the troopers stepped aside to let them pass, the Reverend Martin Luther King led the marchers back to the church. He was obeying a federal injunction while seeking protection from federal court uh, for the march. That night, a white group beat and murdered civil rights activist James Reeb, a a Unitarian Universalist minister from Boston who had come to Selma to march uh, with the second group. On March 16th, Liu Tzu took uh, part in a protest at Wayne State. She then called her husband to tell him that she would be traveling to Selma after hearing the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. call for people of all faiths to come and help, saying that the struggle was everybody's fight. Leaving her children in the care of family and friends, she contacted the SCLC, uh, who took her on and tasked her with delivering aid to various locations, welcoming and recruiting volunteers, and transporting volunteers and marchers to or from airports, uh, which she did in her 1963 Oldsmobile. SCLC is the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, on March 21st, 1965, more than 3,000 people. So I want to get back to that last paragraph. So she's inspired by what's happening at the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Yes. Inspired, horrified, all of those things. Right. And so she has. She is using her car. Yes. To transport people down there to protest uh she is um, meeting protesters at uh train and uh bus stations and then driving them to the protest gotcha um and later on uh she'll be uh transporting people between towns and cities using her car um let's see on march 21st 1965 more than 3,000 people began uh the third march it took five days for the protesters to reach their goal. Liu Tzu marched the first full day and returned to Selma for the night. That Wednesday, March 24th, she rejoined the march four miles from the end, where a Night of Stars uh, celebration was held, um, with performances by many popular entertainers of the day, including Harry Belafonte, Sammy Davis Jr., Joan Baez, and Dick Gregory. Liu Tzu, uh, helping... Uh, Liu Tzu helped at the uh, first aid station during this time. On Thursday, Liu Tzu and the other marchers reached the state capitol building with a Confederate flag flying above it. Martin Luther King addressed the crowd of 25,000, calling the march a shining moment in American history. After the third march concluded on March 25th, Liu Tzu, assisted by Leroy Moton, a 19-year-old African-American, continued shuttling marchers and volunteers from Montgomery back to Selma in her car. Uh, As they were driving along Route 80, a car tried to force them off the road. After dropping passengers in Selma, she and Moton headed back to Montgomery. As they were getting gas at a local filling station, they were subject to abusive calls and racist scorn. 
When Liu Tzu stopped at a red light, a car with four members of the local Ku Klux Klan pulled up alongside her. When they saw a white woman in the car with a black man, they followed Liu Tzu as she tried to outrun them. Overtaking the Oldsmobile, they shot directly at Liu Tzu, uh, mortally wounding her with two shots to the head. Can we just pause and address how absolutely terrifying that sounds? Because you delivered that pretty deadpan, but like, you're getting gas, you start being accosted. I guarantee you most of our famous or our female listeners have experienced being at a gas station and having someone yell something at you. But now you have this extra lens of being there with a black man in the South. And it starts before that, because the car tries to run them off the road. Right, right, right. Even before that. Then they're at the gas station. They're already riled up, and these people are shouting at them. And then they get back in the car, and they pull up to a red light, and the Ku Klux Klan pulls up beside them. And then they just get chased down a road and fired at. Yep. I just want to take a moment for intersectionality here. (laughs) Um, although Moton was covered, uh, with blood, the bullets all missed him. Um, he lay motionless when the Klansmen reached the car, uh, to check on the, their victims playing dead as you're supposed to. Uh, after the Klansmen left, Moton began searching for help and eventually flagged down a truck driven by Reverend Leon Riley. Uh, like Moton and Liotsu, Riley was shuttling civil rights workers back to Selma. Uh, Liu Tzu's f- funeral was held at Immaculate Heart Church of Mary Catholic Church. Do we know if she died right away? You said mortally wounded. I don't know if I didn't know if that meant that she lasted a day or two or whatever. I believe she either when she was shot twice she died or like very shortly very after. shortly after. Okay. It's very hard to like survive two shots to the head. Uh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but weird things happen. They have happened, yeah. Um, Liu Tzu's funeral was held at Immaculate Heart of Mary Catholic Church on March 30th in Detroit, with many prominent members of both the civil rights movement and the government there to pay their respects. Including in the, included in this group was MLK Jr., uh, Roy Wilkins, director of the NAACP, uh, national leader of Congress of Racial Equality, James Farmer, Michigan Lieutenant Governor William G. Milliken, Teamsters President Jimmy Hoffa, and United Auto Workers President Walter Ruther. She was buried at Holy Sepulchre uh, Cemetery in Southfield, Michigan. Maybe I'm missing a part of, maybe there's like a gap in my understanding of the unions and the civil rights, but Mm -hmm. why exactly was Jimmy Hoffa there? Uh, Her husband was a teamster. Right. A teamster organizer. I didn't know if it was that Um, connection or if I had missed a big part of history. I'm pretty sure it's because of the husband connection, but it may also just be that she had organized for him in Detroit. Um, Less than two weeks after her death, a charred cross was found in front of four Detroit homes, including hers. Uh, The four Klan members who were in the car at the time uh, of the assault were Collie Wilkins, William Eden, Eugene Thomas, and FBI informant Gary Rowe. Uh, All four were uh, arrested within 24 hours, and President Lyndon Johnson appeared on national television to announce their arrest. In order to avoid bad press, President Johnson made sure to focus on the positive work of the FBI agents solving the murder of Yola Liutsu so fast, in an attempt to divert scrutiny away from the fact that one of the men in the car, Gary Thomas Rowe, was an FBI informant and therefore protected by the FBI. 
Roe had been an informant for the FBI since 1960, and the FBI was aware that Roe had participated in acts of violence during uh, Ku Klux Klan uh, activities. On the day after Liutsu's death, prior to the shooting, Roe called his FBI contact and notified him that Roe and other Klansmen were traveling to Montgomery and that violence was planned. So he was an informant <clears throat> mm-hmm. about racism and incidentally participating in it so he didn't blow his cover? I... Or he was an informant about something who happened to be a horrifying racist fucker. I don't have that information. I also want to point out that's my first use of the F word in this (laughs) podcast. Uh, I don't have that information. It's possible he was investigating the Ku Klux Klan. It's also uh, possible he was investigating violent crime and just happened to be with the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, I do not have that information. And said information was probably suppressed. It was suppressed until um, 1978, I believe, at least. Okay, so Johnson's like, woohoo, we caught them super fast. Yes. Don't pay attention to this. Johnson is very, uh, very elated with the quickness with which they caught all the men, uh, trying to divert attention away from it. J. Edgar Hoover attempted to obscure the FBI's involvement by starting a smear campaign against Liuzzi to the press. I'm curling my lip. Yeah, it's pretty disgusting. I mean, my very first question, not my very first question, but shortly after, it's like, oh, she died in this car wreck with Mm -hmm. these four guys, or not car wreck, but attack. Um, It was like, does her being a white woman help get resolution, or does the whole race and there was a black man in the car make it impossible? Both. Um, Please tell. She does, uh, a lot of people were pretty pissed about this partially because she's a white woman um but also it makes it pretty easy to smear her uh j edgar hoover says that um she was probably doing drugs with the uh quote-unquote negro in the car um and that they were probably necking lots of <laughs> neck. lots of yeah uh lots of um pretty bad prejudices and stereotypes um a lot of racist organizations come out to blame her for her own death uh, after the fact, because if she hadn't been in the, the car with the black man, she probably would still be alive. Let's talk um, about that statement yeah. and how problematic it is. <laughs> let's preach to the choir of our listeners. Yes, let's do that. Um, Seriously? Uh, so J. Edgar Hoover says, you know, she probably, the puncture marks on her arm that probably indicate a uh, hypodermic needle. She was probably doing drugs. Uh, she was also um, probably uh, doing something with this black man she was in the car with. Necking. In 19, he said uh, it had the appearance of a necking party. That's a direct quote. I'm sorry, a necking party? A necking party. I want to host a necking party. <laughs> and we can have like a collection of bow ties <laughs> and ties and necklaces and just put things around our necks we all have our own houses we can all host necking parties yeah yeah let's make this a thing uh but in 1965 an autopsy showed that she had no traces of drugs and that she had not had sex in the recent times of her death um the fbi's role in the smear campaign was uncovered in 1978 when liu children uh filed charges against the fbi and released uh and obtains the case documents uh, under the Freedom of, of Information Act. Blah. Um, 
On May 27, 1983, Judge Charles Wycliffe Joyner rejected the claims of the Liu Tzu family lawsuit, saying that there was no evidence the FBI was in any type of joint venture with Roe or conspiracy against Mrs. Liu Tzu. Are you about to tell us what happened to the four men? Um, I can tell you what happened to the four men. What happened to the four men? Uh, so there was a trial, and then there was a mistrial, and then there was an acquittal. So they got nothing. They got nothing. And Mike Rowe, uh, in 1978, after this information was made public, uh, he was tried for his involvement in the murder. Uh, the first trial ended in a hung jury, and the second trial ended in an acquittal. Okay. Um, in 1983, Judge Charles Wycliffe Joyner rejected the claims of the Liutsu family lawsuit, saying that there was no evidence the FBI was uh, in any type of joint venture with Roe or conspiracy against Ms. Liutsu. Uh, Roe's presence in the car was the principal reason why the crime was solved so quickly. In response to the verdict, the Liutsu family lawyer, Dean Cri A. Robb... The crime was solved. Justice was not... Justice was not served at served. all. Nope. Um, in response to this verdict, Liotso family lawyer Dean A. Robb said, This is a terrible opinion. I'm shocked, and I think that this is incredible. In August 1983, the FBI was awarded or $79,873 in court costs, uh, but costs were later reduced to $3,645 after the ACLU appealed on behalf of the family. So the family had to pay the FBI. The family had to pay the FBI for court costs. After the FBI informant murdered their mother. That's the end of the story. Um, the f um, What a note to end on. <laughs> there was no justice served in the, the case. And um, uh, Viola Liotsu has become part of the Selma narrative. Uh, there was a character based on her in the recent Selma movie. Um, and she appears in a lot of literature surrounding the Selma events. So the white woman appears in a lot of the literature around the events. That's correct. Yes. Okay. So. Real. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go get my second hard seltzer. That sounds good. I'm going to pause the recording. And then we're going to talk about the three most misunderstood tarot cards. Sounds good. Be right back, listeners. And we're back. That was a bummer. It was... A lot of my stories are bummers. You should have heard the last... The one that's being released, like, now. Because um, I started off with... Uh, this is the podcast Joy Binge. And Rachel was like, oh, it's going to be a happy story. And then it wasn't. <laughs> I mean, all. you know, if you have a happy story, <laughs> I'd be surprised. But, like, real bummer. Yes. So, tell us about uh, witchcraft. I will not be talking about witchcraft today. In fact, one of my first points to dispel will be that tarot and witchcraft are directly related. I'm here for it. So actually, yes, let's talk about the tarot. We're going to talk very, very briefly, at least as briefly as I'm capable of being at the moment, <laughs> um, about what tarot is, isn't. Um, and then we're going to talk about the three cards that people are the most scared of, but two of them are actually my favorite cards to get in a reading. So the tarot started out as a card game and still is a card game around a lot of the world, but particularly in Western society and English-speaking society where it was used much less as a card game, it did become this tool of divination and foretelling. Today, many people 
who read tarot do not read it for telling the future, mm -hmm. um, but really more as a meditation tool um, and possible outcomes. Uh, yes or no answers, while you certainly can ask those questions, I would never recommend if I were doing a reading. You want it to be more open-ended. Yes, so you can kind of because focus for me, yes, meditation, or I'm sorry, tarot is very much a tool of meditation and a tool of introspection. Um, if you've seen Sabrina Part 2, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina Part 2, Episode two or season two? Season two. Okay. Um, there is an episode in which someone goes into Dr. Sarah Bruce's and uh, does tarot readings. Um, and she says, I had meant to look this up. I'm going to maybe slightly butcher this. She says, basically, you're not looking at the tarot. The tarot is looking into you. Interesting. Which is a lovely allusion to Nietzsche. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Okay. So when you're looking at a tarot deck, there's 73 cards, if I do my math right. There's the 52 minor arcana, which frankly you could use a regular deck of cards for. The four suits all correspond to the four suits of a playing deck. Cups, swords, um, wands, and pentacles, or coins. Those all also correspond to the four elements. So there definitely is this, this language um especially of the occult okay um but it is not a tool of the occult if you will it is a tool for yourself um and for others and for developing um working through choices working through decisions okay so i wouldn't want to i wouldn't want to do a tarot reading with uh, a deck of cards but i could you could you could do it you would get minor arcana mm -hmm. there's also in a tarot deck the major arcana these 21 cards um basically so if you're doing if you're asking a question like um i need to know the positives and negatives of this situation so say you pull four cards mm -hmm. and two represent the positives of a situation and two represents the negative of a situation right if you're getting all minor cards which could be the ace of cups the three of swords the six of wands um the knight of pentacles the king of swords mm -hmm. excuse me um you can also you can kind of think okay this isn't like this decision might feel really big to me, but maybe in the long term of my life, this decision isn't as weighty as I think it is. Now, if you're going to be getting cards like um, death, the sun, temptation, the major cards, mm -hmm. there's a little bit more weight to this situation right. in your life. Right. So the three cards that I'm going to be talking about are part of that 21 major arcana. Okay. Each card is numbered except the fool, which he does have a number, but it's zero he sits at the beginning or the end because okay. the major arcana represents the journey of the fool the fool starts off his journey and anytime you get that card it's a lot of times it's to remind you to keep that sense of wonder and optimism and curiosity okay but it suggests very much that you're at the beginning of something okay and along the way the fool is going to meet specific characters like the magician the high priestess the empress the devil um and they're each going to teach him about an aspect of himself, okay. which is how this very much relates to meditation. And I've actually used it post-therapy a lot mm -hmm. because I do a specific type of therapy called um, IFS, Internal Family Systems, right. which basically accepts that there are different parts of you born of different traumas and situations. So when you say, well, part of me feels good about this and part of me feels bad about this, it's because you've had different experiences in your life and so you do have conflicted feelings about right. it. 
Um, the tarot is very much that, especially the major. It helps you look at these different personalities or parts of you that you might have lots and work of, with them. Lots of moving pieces. Yes. Yeah. So the fool starts off on this journey. And at point 13, he comes to death. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So death is always going to be terrifying when you see it because we have a very unhealthy relationship with death in the Western world. Right. In a future podcast, I'm sure I'll talk about burial rites and other things about death because it makes me happy to do so. But for most of us, that's not the case. Understanding death as a, a part of life and rebirth and all yes. that stuff. Yeah. And as a person with a lot of anxiety, I like to understand better the things that I have anxiety about. Right. Um, Which is why you like murder podcasts. You know, <laughs> it's a thing. So whenever, whenever I see death, and I do very few readings for others at this point, I'm mainly doing them for myself. But whenever I see death, I always have this sense of peace come over me. Okay. Because the death card really and truly at its core is a reminder that change happens. It always happens. It's inevitable. There is always transformation mm -hmm. and it always leads to new opportunities and opportunities for rebirth. Um, death is very much a reminder for me of this resurrection image imagery that I'm always very attracted to right. the image of the snake shedding its skin without the loss. The snake cannot grow and become what it is meant to be, which is slightly larger and not as contained right. <laughs> um, quite literally. So the first card um, that is perhaps one of the most misunderstood is death. Anytime you see death, it is natural to have fear and anxiety about it. A visceral reaction. Yes. Yeah. But it is very much a natural transition. There is an inevitability to it. Mm -hmm. But as we'll talk about with our next card, you always have choice in how you respond. Right. So that's card 13. Card 15 my next favorite card, probably also because I'm a Capricorn and it's the card associated with the Capricorn. It's the devil. The devil. Dun, dun, dun. So the devil is another one that is just so misunderstood because, <laughs> oh my gosh, Satan. Ah! Okay, well, let's pretend that there's not sentient beings out there mm. over all of us. And it's just another aspect. It's that shadow aspect. Right. It's that part of us we don't want to always acknowledge. Yeah. However, Old Testament Satan, not New Testament Satan. Right. But, okay, let's look at the devil, the card itself. So the very traditional tarot that is used for readings um, or, you know, the tarot work as opposed to a game is the, I'm going to mess this up because of my speech impediment, Rider weight deck. And if you look at the very traditional imagery of that, you'll see two people sitting below the devil. Mm-hmm. The cards in front of me are cats. Okay. So you see two cats sitting below a pentagram. Okay. Um, and they have chains around them. But when you look more closely, the chains are loose. Because they still have the... Because they move. actually have the choice. The chains are of your own making. So yes. whenever you get the devil in a reading, it's kind of that check yourself you put yourself in this situation, you can get yourself out of this situation. Okay. You only feel like you don't have a choice. These chains that you've created or that you feel are around you, you can remove them. Doesn't mean it's gonna be easy. Right. Doesn't mean it's gonna feel good. 
but you do have that. If I do a series on tarot sometime, we'll talk about how the devil is kind of the opposite card of the lovers, mm -hmm. where you're seeing these two. But when we're talking about chains, the devil also very much deals with materialism. And often if you're seeing the devil, it's because you're so focused on the earthly and you're not focused enough on the spiritual or the emotional. Okay. You've gotten too caught up in your capitalism. Yeah. Um, and that corresponds very much, as I said, to the Capricorn. Capricorns are very grounded. We're very goal-oriented. We're very, we like the nicer things. Right. Well, when you get too focused on the nicer things, you create these chains for yourself, but you can always break them as well. So you're saying that this card is just an extended metaphor for materialism? In a lot of ways, yes. Okay. There's this idea of the devil. Oh my God, it's this thing, this evil presence, this evil that's going to come for me. But really, no, it's, it's all yourself. Okay. And a lot of times it's materialism. And then we have the tar the tower. Now, I'm going to be honest about the tower. This one I don't like to get in my readings. I see the devil. I see death. Yeah. I know those cards. Those cards are my old friends. And I'm like, okay, I've <laughs> been here before. I can get through this again. Right. You know, they come up a lot in readings for me because I'm just in those patterns of dealing with things, reacting to things, trauma, repeated behaviors and whatnot. The tower is... There's a, there's a good reason to be a little bit more anxious about it because okay. it represents something. It's another change card. Change is always scary. Right. But unlike death, which has this very, um, you know, soothingness about it, this inevitability about it, this kind of it's a part of life about it. Yeah, some death we can, we can learn to see that way. But when something just happens, yeah. suddenly... And seemingly unexpectedly and out of the blue, which is what the tower represents, mm -hmm. that's scary. Okay. Um, but again, the tower is another reminder. Remember, we're on this journey of the fool, okay? He's going to meet 21 different people or experiences. This is another one where it's like, shit happens. You're turning left and you get hit by a car. Right. You're all of, you know, these things, they all happen. And there's still an element of um, you're going to be okay to it. Okay. Because the tower is card 16. There's still five more cards to go. Um, the tower, it's also another really cool one that, depending on the deck you're using, mm -hmm. the imagery of the deck can really help you work through it. Okay. Because a lot of the tower cards, um, kind of like the hanged man, it makes sense whether you're looking at it right side up or right side down or upside down. So a lot of the cards, like if we're looking at death, okay, there's somebody in a cemetery. You turn that upside down. It looks like it's an upside down picture of someone in a cemetery. Okay. The tower card, okay, somebody is falling. You turn it upside down. Okay, well, it actually still looks like somebody's falling. Okay. Which speaks really to the cyclical nature of everything, um, as well as the inevitability. But also, you're going to get through it. <laughs> Um, and that's, I think, and that's another reason why, you know, using the tarot for foretelling or divination can be a mistake, um, but why it's really important for you to pose questions that are open-ended mm -hmm. um, and account for the many nuances. And that instead of saying what's going to happen or... Um, the like a yes or no instead saying okay i don't know how this is going to go 
what do I need to remember so I can have the best outcome for this? Right. Because then the responses you'll get as you commune with the universe are going to be, let's talk about your strengths, let's talk about your weaknesses. Remember that you're a badass bitch who tends to get weighted down in materialism. Mm -hmm. Great, beautiful reminder. Thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> um, if you watch Sabrina part two, I thoroughly recommend it because let me just say, fuck the patriarchy. <laughs> we thought season one was that way, no. Let's just take it down. Mary really likes Sabrina, guys. I mean, hello. <laughs> um, so I really appreciated. I was really anxious when they had the tarot scene, but I was also really excited because some of the readings seemed very superficial. Yeah. Um, Sabrina asks a question about Nick. The first card pulled is the magician. Yeah. Well, that makes total sense, um, given that Nick is a very good warlock. Um, I was very proud of myself because there was a second card. I was like, these are all going to be major cards. I bet they're only going to pull from the major arcana because this is like Story. what people recognize yeah. the most. And I was like, unless if they don't, it's going to be this card. Mm -hmm. And guess what? It was that card. Yeah. And I was just like, I have elevated. <laughs> I have ascended. I am at a new level. It was fabulous. Anyways, it was really good. Some of the um, Harvey gets the fool, for example. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, of course. And I'm sitting in my living room with my sparkling seltzer stuff. And I'm yeah. like, no, Harvey, it's not a bad thing. You need to keep your sense of wonder. You're at the beginning of your journey. <laughs> um, anyways, it was really good. Nice. It was a, it was a interestingly crafted episode. It, it was an episode that, you know, isn't necessarily canon for everything that happens. Yeah. Um, but was really well done, I thought. Okay. Sounds good. I haven't finished, uh, I haven't moved on to the second season. I have finished the first season. It just came out Friday and it's Sunday, so I respect that. Well, I also haven't been on Netflix in like months, so. I've been hitting Hulu pretty hard lately. Yeah. Because I've been going through a, I binged Buffy, I binged Good Girls, so. Well, I had a, I had a period a few months ago where I didn't have the energy to like choose. I, mm -hmm. And so I was just on Twitch watching streamers and they choose the games that they play and then oh, yeah. I just watch them and, yep. you know, don't have to do anything. I, um, that's one, I think that's one of the reasons I started Buffy the yeah. Vampire Slayer over again was because I know what happens. Yeah. And I know every episode is going to have its funny moments, and it's a very well-written show yeah. most of the time. Um, My sister recently rewatched it. Yeah. Well, and it's there's so many episodes. Yeah. It, I mean, I've been doing this for a few months now. Yeah. So, and I've, I've still got plenty of room to go. I did take a break. I watched the new Hannah, um, Amazon Prime. Um, is that based on the movie from like? Well, I was just, I was like, is ago? the movie based on a book? Okay. I'm guessing. I don't know. There was definitely the movie Hannah. Yeah. It's definitely the same thing. Except okay. this was like eight episodes. But it's also the coming of age story for this right, unique right. young woman. Yeah. And I think they did it so well. And okay. I totally cried. Good to know. And I'd like to talk to people about it. Yeah. At some point. Before I forget what happened. I'll have to like watch it. Yeah. And then we can talk about it at trivia. Um, I was going to say my sister uh, started rewatching Buffy. And she doesn't like Joss Whedon. And so she always finds the nitpicks mm -hmm. and she's like, this is Joss. This is Joss. This is Joss. I'm like, I don't has need she... you to live tweet this to me. Has she listened to um, Buffering the Slayer? I have no idea. I would assume not. 
You should recommend it. Yeah. I have only listened to the first episode. Yeah. Because I'm at a point in my life where listening to things isn't a thing that I do. <laughs> besides, like, classical music in the car. Yeah. I'm behind on everything. Oh, yeah. Um, partly because I can no longer listen to podcasts at work because too much brain required. No. Oh. But... Um, Buffering the Slayer, I think they are maybe through season four. They're doing an hour, roughly hour-long episode for every episode of Buffy. Okay. Talking about it, critiquing it. It's these two. Um, it's this lesbian couple. Uh-huh. And one of them has been a diehard Buffy fan since Buffy. Yeah. Since the original. And then the other one only came to it... Like, a year ago. Okay. She tried watching it several years ago and was just like, no, this is silly. And then she watched it again and was like, why didn't I love this all along? So they haven't gone to the Dawn storyline yet? or I don't think so. Okay. Um, but so they both now watched it. Yeah. Right. But um, they're recapping every episode with this podcast, but also critiquing it, talking about it, talking yeah. about their feelings, talking about... Um, because, of course, one of them has watched and listened to all the commentary right. <laughs> about it and everything. Um, so it's re- it's really fun. It's really fascinating. Like I said, I've only listened to the first episode, but loved it, enjoyed it. And one of them is a musician. And so the end of every podcast episode, she writes a, a song jingle. that recaps the episode. Nice. That's really talented. It's yeah. It was it was great. The first one, the I'm, only one I've listened to. I really wish that I could. Emily, I, the, I really wish that I had the talent to do that. Yeah, Emily recommended it. Yeah. Um, one of our friends who is a her aesthetic is Vampires. French brothel vampire. Yeah. Yeah, I see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that's all for today, listeners. Uh, I think we're going to get out of here. Mary has to go pack for traveling. Um, you can find us on the internet at um, www, no, at WordPress, absentactivismarts.wordpress.com. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at absentactivismarts. You can find us on Twitter at absentactart. We have a single tweet for April Fool's Day um, because Rachel requested it. Very, uh, <laughs> yes, very necessary. <laughs> um, uh, we have a, a Patreon. Uh, it's Absinthe Activism Arts. Uh, if you feel like giving us money, please do. Um, what else? I think that's it. Uh, I'm on Instagram at AWMWrites if you want to see pictures of Mercury. Um, I am on the Fediverse. I am at Gibberfish. Um, as AWM writes, and I am at um, uh, I'm on Mastodon at Socialism as AWM writes. Um, do you want to plug anything? Sure. My Instagram would be the best way to reach me. Yeah. Slash don't slide into my DMs, but I'm just saying I'm most active on there. <laughs> um, which is to say, not super lately, but it's Mary M A R I L Thompson. Um, and you'll see the occasional picture of food, the occasional dog that I'm dog sitting, pictures of my cats, bought a house last year, so you'll see home improvement yes. things. Your new trees look nice. Thanks. <laughs> my mom came over and we planted things. I want to do that in the backyard here. Long live the hostas. Yes. Are you still trying to be an influencer? or? Is that I mean, in my heart. In your heart. But in actuality. <laughs> Too much I energy. I mean... 
basically I'm, I'm giving most of my energy to work right now because yeah. it's like exciting and there's opportunity and like future growth and whatnot yeah. and um but uh also i'm poor so i don't get to go out to eat much anymore or things that happens you know yeah i've been there mercury is currently doing his best to get both mine and mary's attention <laughs> um so i think we're gonna he's get he's doing out of a here. good job <laughs> does mercury have his own instagram we need to plug he does not have his own instagram but Why? we should probably make one for him <laughs> he needs it he hasn't because i haven't figured out how to handle multiple accounts yet um that's basically my excuse uh but we should definitely figure that out look at this face i know everybody needs this face I in know. their life mercury the dog face 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 mark a mark <laughs> yes i love you too you're 60 pound 60 pound 65 pounds 65 pound barrel orange he has broken two retractable leashes i just had to buy one I'm right for a 110 pound dog i'm not surprised because he has broken two of them. Solid muscle. Solid muscle. 10% body fat. <laughs> uh, it's also past his dinner time, so we need oh, to feed him too. Yep. Our, oh, no, no. <laughs> That's the... Wow. So, if you all remember the time that Mercury bit my nipple, <laughs> uh, what currently happened is that Mercury just tried to flash Mary's boobs at me. <laughs> And then he just stood on my crotch. And on that note, bye. Bye. See you in two weeks.